0: Hey everyone, this is Caleb, and today I'm so honored that you have decided to spend part of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner Podcast. And in this episode, I am joined by Claude Acho, and we're going to talk with him about his book, Reading Black Books, How African American Literature Can Make Our Faith More Whole and Just. Now, if this happens to be your first time listening to the podcast, I do want to let you know about a couple of things that inform pretty much everything that we do here. The first one is this, is that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations. We believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, regardless of whether or not we agree with them. We learn from anything and from everything, whether that's something serious or something trivial, because everything has something to teach us. And... The new, I guess it's the new one, which recently added, which is, which has been just a, a heartbeat throughout the entire thing of the podcast. I guess we're just more, you know, um, directly saying it is simply this is that we work to become the mentor we had or the mentor that we wish to had or that we wish we had. And what we're going to talk about today, you know, uh, gets on, uh, Really, really a few of those different things. A couple of things I want to highlight is that we learn from everyone and from everyone, regardless of whether or not we disagree with them about um, maybe different ideas or beliefs that they might hold. And that's one of the things that can happen whenever you read uh, literature and books from people who maybe have a different experience then you can almost like create this resistance in us. But here on the podcast, we truly believe that we can learn from every, everyone and from anyone, regardless of who that is, regardless of whether or not we agree with them completely or not. And we believe that we can learn from anything and from everything, whether that be fiction as some of which we're going to talk about today or music or movies or TV or whatever, whatever pop culture thing that that is. We believe that we can learn from that. As well. Now, if you have something that you would love us to cover on the podcast or someone that you would love us to talk with, I would love to hear from you. And the best way to reach out to me is learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com for any recommendations that you might have. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Claude and then we will jump into the conversation. So Claude Alcho is pastor of Church of the Resurrection in Charlottesville, Virginia. He has taught African American literature at the collegiate level, is a regular writer and podcast contributor for Think Christian and has written for Christ and Pop Culture, the Gospel Coalition and The Witness, a Black Christian collective. And we're going to uh, mention a couple of different works that uh that claude has written and so you know check out the show notes for for all of the pieces that we reference as well and without any further wait here is my conversation with claude accio well claude it's so good to have you on the learner's corner podcast today
1: it's a joy to be here thanks for the invite caleb looking forward to it
0: yeah and uh we're we're going to talk about uh many different things one of those things is going to be uh your recent book reading black books as well but before we get into that one of the things that i'm i'm always curious about uh hearing from people is i love uh just hearing what are you learning right now
1: oh man um what am I learning right now? I, I just came back from a, uh, a week long conference called the the Glenn workshop, uh, put on by the image journal. And so, um, one of the insights that I took away from that, uh, I was teaching a course on, on on my book and on African-American literature, but was able to sit in on some of the main sessions. So one of the things I'm, I'm learning and thinking about is the importance of attention. Uh, one of the speakers had a couple of great lines about poetry and how poetry is really a distillation of attention uh, in, in the writer's life, but really uh, how all of life is about attention and and gratitude and um and so as a pastor i'm making the connection between those things and sort of worship and discipleship and formation so i would say that's the the a little bit of what i'm thinking about or, or learning hopefully learning is just the value and importance of uh, where our gaze is fixed
0: yeah can you tease that out a little bit more and like again i know that it's early i know that you you're you're still thinking about this stuff but um, I would just love to hear like some of the implications that you're thinking through as it pertains to um, be, being attentive to people and capturing people's attention I guess in that
1: yeah so I think attention um, you know sort of in the context for uh, for this workshop, it's looking at how you know in order to 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 write poetry or otherwise or to create things of of value and art and goodness, you have to pay attention. So you so if you're writing a poem about grass, you got to pay attention to grass and how it how it moves in the wind. If you're writing a poem about your your kid or your friend or friendship, you have to pay attention to those themes, those people, those memories. Uh, for me, I was really thinking about it in terms of you know how how discipleship works, how we uh, need our souls to be connected and, and fed uh, through. Uh, by God through scripture and how that, that means we need to, to pay attention and to meditate and to ruminate, but then also how we, um, engage with others, you know, we need to pay attention to their needs, to their stories, to their, to their hurts and and how, uh, the gospel message connects with them. And, um, so, so I was sort of taking it all in terms of sort of, uh, love, love towards God and, and love of neighbor, but really just that idea of, of attention, which, which I'd heard in different places and in, in different variations, but I think it just really struck me this time around
0: yeah another thing that i wanted to ask you about is i know that uh you do a lot of work with think christian as well which um basically you're looking through a lot of like different pop culture things from music to movies to books to all of that stuff um and i do want to hear some of the things that have most resonated with you recently but before uh we talk about that i love hearing people's processes especially as it pertains to um just trying to understand like elements of music or movies or just anything like that and so i would just kind of love to hear from you of whenever you're trying to like gain greater understanding in something like that do you have like a process or is it just pretty natural to you or what does that look like
1: yeah that's a good question i I think um i've i've tried to kind of stumble into a process a little bit so I, i usually um First step is just sort of to just kind of be with be with whatever the art is. So, you know, if it's an album, just making sure I'm listening to it uh, many times rather than, you know, quickly jumping to trying to decode everything or write about it, but to really sort of take it on its own terms. Um, you know, same same thing with a, with a movie is to to really just engage on its own terms to treat it. You know, those are both their forms of texts and so to to respect them in that way. And then through engagement with them to see where there's sort of interesting questions or um, contradictory things, uh, and then sort of follow that, that interest or that curiosity. But that really comes from just sort of being with the art. Um, I feel like, uh, Josh Larson, our editor, I think Christian was really, really good at sort of instructing in that way. It's just sort of, Hey, don't, don't force it, like engage with the art. And if there's something there, it'll, it'll become clear. And if there's some, if there's not, then can write about something else, you know? So, so really try to take the art, uh, on its own terms. It's usually step one. And then by that point, something interesting will happen and then kind of follow, (laughs) follow that. Uh, and hopefully it's not a dead end.
0: Yeah. So you're just looking for, you know, Hey whether it be a feeling or something like that that resonates with you and then
1: yeah yeah i mean more so i think for me I, I probably think about uh yeah just sort of sort of themes so um you know one example recently i wrote uh i think christian i haven't written for them uh a lot over the last year mostly working on this book but recently wrote about kendrick lamar's album uh mr morale and the big steppers and so listening to that first you know several different times and then sort of hearing just you know and it's it's a it's a pretty prominent theme you can hear on the first, first one or two listens, uh, but just this idea of healing and, and what it means to sort of process uh, trauma and different sort of things. And so that became really clear. And then through more listens, it was sort of uh, became more apparent, the sort of uh, message that was attached to that theme. Uh, And that was just interesting to me. And, uh, and so then it was sort of, okay, well, you know, what, what is this art saying about this theme? And where is that helpful where is that contradictory maybe where is that troublesome and then sort of trying to answer those kind of questions
0: hmm. yeah and then i imagine like even incorporating some of your thoughts into totally, that. totally yeah as well. yeah
1: definitely yes
0: yeah hmm. yeah you mentioned uh the new kendrick album yeah i got i got a chance to read through the article and uh we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes because it's really good i love some actually uh I would just love any other thoughts that you have just around the album before we dive into, uh, some of the other things that you're, you know, engaging in right now.
1: Yeah. You know, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really do appreciate and commend, I think, uh, artists, um, that are trying to process things and are trying to grow as artists, not just stylistically, but sort of in terms of their, um, maturity in their content and and obviously i think we have to recognize that artists are also a little bit of a persona like um so that so they're embodying something that's like very public so you know who knows how much of that is just really them versus you know just sort of fits with with what they've created but i do really admire and commend artists like kendrick who have a clear arc to their music and to their careers where it's very clear they're they're working on um you know as best as as best as they can conceive of it um growing and being wiser and so i i really admire that i think a lot of artists sort of stay in a rut so i admire that just off the fact that it's very clear he's he's trying to do that and, and raising some important conversations in the process uh, i think musically um it's it's quite good he's incredibly skilled i think thematically it's really interesting um as i mentioned in the article i think there's some some you know problematic kind of suggestions and ideas there yeah. about what it means to heal um and or not what it means to heal but like how we actually heal um and and so you know that you know I I don't I don't love that but at the same time I think as art um you know it's it's compelling and and well well crafted
0: Mm. yeah can you can you talk more about and not necessarily specifically in the in Kendrick's songs or in his album but just engaging with um material that it's like okay i don't know if i necessarily agree with all of this or it is you know a little bit of problematic and um just sorting through all of that because i think you know sometimes the temptation can be nope not going to engage with that and yeah just love for you to talk about that yeah
1: you know i think that does come down to kind of each person i think they're sort of uh you know, their conscience, what is useful and helpful for them, what isn't. Uh, so I would want to be sensitive to that. I think it takes, you know, discernment and wisdom, prayer, all of those important things. Um, you know, I think on one level, it's It's helpful to sort of know these larger voices that are shaping ideas and conversations around us. So I, I think in terms of kind of... Um, cultural engagement is just sort of being aware of, you know, these are the albums that people are talking about at the barbershop. You know, these are the things that, you know, the high school kids I play basketball with, these are things they're listening to. So I think on a certain level, there's a way to engage where you can be aware. And then there's also like deep engagement where it's like, okay, maybe, maybe I don't need to listen to this album every day, you know, those, those sort of like, yeah. there's, there's a whole continuum there. And, I, and so I think, you know, people can sort of, yeah, prayerfully kind of discern what makes sense there. Um, I think for me, I have an interest in the genre um, and then it, it's sort of connected with how I try to engage with people in in kind of my my life where I live and um, and yeah, I mean I, I love hip hop, so so it's pretty. So I, I actually do uh, a pretty light engagement of just sort of uh, I like to kind of know what's happening, but I actually don't really listen to a lot of a lot of things regularly. It's more of a sort of a one-time meal <laughs> when yeah, I'm writing on yeah. things. and I kind of move on. you know, I actually find I don't listen to as much music as I used to in general. So but that, that's generally how I approach. It. A little discernment. I think there's there's helpfulness in being aware, but that's not necessarily the case for everybody.
0: Yeah. And your movement away from music, is that just like life, you know, not enough time to do that or what?
1: Yeah, a little time. And then I think, um, you know, maybe getting to the point where others uh, I've heard others express where sort of, hey, when I want to listen to stuff, I kind of end up listening to the same old things that I've listened to the last, you know, for most of my life. And, (laughs) you know, all the new kids, their music, uh, they don't make it like they used to. You know, I think I'm I'm moving into that, moving into that area. So for for better or for worse, that's what's happening.
0: Yeah. Oh my. Um I and I would love to hear what's another thing just, you know, over the last year, six months, so on and so all whatever time frame you want to choose, that is just really resonating with you.
1: Yeah, you're talking kind of like art, art, music, yeah. Yep. Um Yep honestly like again with this book i've been so um so focused on trying to finish this that i haven't really you know i I do like to watch movies i i hope to watch like 40 movies a year it's it's like a good year for me read 40 or 50 books watch 40 50 movies which is a lot um but i've not that has not happened in recent years for me (laughs) uh so i'm not yeah there's there's i'm not as tuned in as I'd, i'd like to be i think uh recent movies so i mentioned the kendrick album um this, I think was a 2019 movie. Um, the last black man in San Francisco, uh, it was a really great film. And I think it, it deals with the theme of gentrification. Uh, but it's, it's really more about, um, it's about that, but at a deeper level, it's about how, how we see, how we relate to space, how we relate to our neighbor and, uh, what it means to sort of, um, really recognize the, the, the humanity and dignity of, of people even as cities and cities and places change over time. Uh, so it's very, it's a very tender movie, um, in dealing with really hard topics and it's also visually very arresting and beautiful. So that that's a piece of art that's really resonated with me, um, that I would, would recommend people give a look.
0: Yeah. I mean, this, this might be, you know, too naive of a question, but, uh, what What's the premise of it?
1: Yeah, the premise is um, there's a young black man in San Francisco, and uh, he's trying to get his trying to retain his uh, his sort of family's house. And uh, they're some of the last black folks in their neighborhood. And the town is changing rapidly. And so it's this sort of question. Can can they keep and uh, can they keep the house? Uh, can can they find a way to keep the house? And then how do how do you deal with uh, when a place that you love doesn't really love you back anymore?
0: Hmm man that's good i'm i'm gonna have to check that out uh and what's a what's a book recently that has just been re- really resonating with recent
1: you? book oh man um hmm and i can't think of a recent uh are you thinking fiction or just
0: oh i'll i'll let you take it in in whatever direction that you want to take it yeah
1: um a book that i've enjoyed uh recently i will say is um living into community by Christine Pohl. Uh, she teaches, or she, at least at the time of when this book was published, taught at Asbury Theological Seminary. We've heard a lot about how uh, communities have fractured, I think, over the last two years, COVID, political cycle, polarization, all these sort of things. This book is not written in response to that. It's a little bit older, but it, it deals with why why communities, churches, and also families, uh, why they why they break down and what are the sort of practices that... Um, that are given theologically, that actually binds communities together. So she talks about gratitude, truth telling, uh, hospitality, all these sort of things. So it's a great, great book. I mean, it's really applicable in in church context, but but also beyond that.
0: Yeah, were there, uh, was there one practice or, you know, what, what resonated with you the most? out of that or or was the, oh shoot, moment for you. Yeah,
1: I think she does a great job. It's very theologically grounded, but it's also very practical. And then it also deals with the sort of uh, threats to each of the practices or realities that she um, uh, recommends or encourages. So she talks a lot about gratitude and celebration and how those realities keep communities, uh, churches, families together, and how ingratitude, which is produced sort of by envy, False expectations, lack of communication, um, and and obviously pride uh, deteriorate communities. So, just her whole framework about the importance of celebration, the importance of gratitude, and that um, those things are not opposed to you know lament or recognizing injustice or problems, but that actually like communities that actually have the least amount of things celebrate the most because they recognize how celebration is actually connected into. Um, survival and all these different sort of ideas. So, uh, I think just her wisdom about celebration, which I think is very much connected to recognizing everything as a gift from God, which, uh, in self-sufficient communities, we, we, we don't do that. Uh, so her, her thread on gratitude and its connectivity to grace and celebration, I think is pretty profound.
0: Yeah. And anything else just top of mind that, you know, that you've engaged with recently?
1: Um, those are the most i i have now that the book is finished i've been able to get to some other novels that i've wanted to get yeah. to but i haven't been able to finish any of those novels in order to really say how i actually feel about them so i'm just yeah. starting to wait in
0: nope i i get that um so as we mentioned earlier you know you've written this book reading black books and anytime that someone creates a work of art i love hearing the story behind it and so i would just love to hear from you of What was the the journey or the series of events that led you to go? Not only do you want to engage with this topic and learn about for yourself, but you want to write about it too.
1: Yeah. So for me, uh, I studied English literature as an undergrad, uh, an undergraduate, and as a graduate student, and then late in undergrad, um, got interested in pastoral ministry. And so this book for me is sort of a bridging of those two those two paths that are you know two major threads of my life, and sort of. Seeing them get to be seeing them tied together, you know, and, and those two strands like being unified, and so that's that's part of the sort of deep uh, genesis of the book. And the more immediate genesis was really um, the beginning of the pandemic, March 2020. I was fortunate to you know continue to have my job working as a pastor and was just you know at home, but we were you know safe and and just just at home, and so I had a, a, a fair amount of time on my hands and thought, you know what, um, I'm going to start working on this, this idea. And it was very much inspired by Karen Swallow Pryor's book on reading well, where she does, uh, similar work in terms of looking at virtues through the lens of one particular literary text. And so uh, I thought her book was amazing and her writing is, um, excellent. And so I I thought to myself, someone should do similar, but with African American literature and maybe instead of virtues, maybe do sort of theological ideas or um, you know, more Christian topics, you know, um, uh, more explicitly kind of Christian topics. Yeah. So so that's what I started working on at the beginning of the pandemic. And so that's kind of how that that started to to come around. So I started working on an artist in March twenty twenty and turned it in um August twenty twenty one and and now it uh, entered the world, May 2022. So it's been a it's been a whirlwind. There's been other, other crazy stuff that's happened as well. But yeah, just happy to have the book completed and finished. And again, it yeah it feels like two two parts of my story sort of coming together uh, to yeah. to lead to the creation of this book.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, and and Karen was actually on the podcast to talk about on reading. Oh, what, nice. Okay, um, a, a couple of years ago. So yeah, uh, <laughs> one of one of the ideas that really got me thinking. About it in there is um is I think it's kind of like in the setup or in the first chapter of the book is you talk about this idea of um of reading for empathy and then reading theologically as well and I would love just to kind of. Have you unpack that a little bit and kind of talk about the the difference between the two of those things? Definitely.
1: So I think uh reading for empathy is a really important thing. And I think that's something that uh is more widely recognized. I remember encountering that in grad school, a writer Martha Nussbaum, she talks about, I think it's a po uh Poetic Justice, I think is the name of her book. And uh, I think empathy is in the subtitle. She talks about reading literature as a, it creates links of possibility. Uh so as you read, you you know, you're experiencing. The experiences of another person, right? You can, you can, I can read a book uh, as someone from my time, my place, my sort of uh, demographics and background. And I can read a book that puts me in a life in the shoes of somebody completely different than me. And that experience is really hard to replicate. And so, literature has a really uh, significant power to produce empathy uh, for readers uh, by the power of story. Um, and that's really important. I think that's really. Crucial. Uh, but for my project, I wanted to sort of look beyond empathy or to sort of go a step further, which would be not just thinking about books in terms of the value that they produce in helping us to understand one another, but actually the value of looking at stories to better understand um, theological realities. All right, and realities about how the world is, uh, who God is, and who we are in response. And so I think empathy is really crucial, but I think there's also a way to read uh, that puts the literature and the story and the themes in conversation with theology, which can still produce empathy, but also brings us closer to thinking um, sort of more Christianly about critical questions.
0: Hmm. Yeah. What's helped you like read better theologically? Like, are there any like skills or like, I don't know. I don't know if mindset is the right word or anything that just helps you do that better.
1: I think, um, maybe similar to the discussion about pieces of art. I think sort of sitting with the text, and I think re- learning how to read the text in terms of, uh, sort of literary approaches is the sort of foundation. And then I think that can guide guide one into some of that theological reflection. Cause we wouldn't want to come to the text to just sort of force I- theological ideas on it. So like, for example, um, I think, re- so reading literarily and, and building skills as a reader is that that first step to doing what what I'm suggesting as sort of Christian reflection. I think an example is James Baldwin's novel, Go Telled on the Mountain. Um, if you pay attention to sort of the form and the structure of the novel, certain questions arise and then those questions give certain answers and then can kind of lead you in a theological direction. So for example, the album or the album, uh, the book rather is... Uh, the novel takes place all in one day, but there's these flashbacks and the flashbacks are connected to prayer. And the flashbacks uh, happen for each of these three sort of crucial characters and the flashbacks produce uh, produce for the reader access to information that the main character actually doesn't have. So as a reader, we have all this information. We know the backstory. We know all of why this family is the way it is. And the novel gives us that through these flashbacks that take place in the church through these moments of prayer. So I think you're reading literally. you would ask yourself, you know, oh, why? That's, that's strange. Like why, why are you structured that, the, the novel this way? Like, why would you do that? You know, what's, or, or what's the impact of that? And I think as you realize that it helps, it helps you see, oh, this is happening possibly in order to produce an understanding of why these people are the way they are. Okay. Well, what does that do? Well, it helps us to see characters who we would otherwise maybe consider as despicable. It helps us to see them with a little bit more mercy and a little bit more understanding. Okay. That's interesting. Like how does that connect with how we're to live in the world as Christians, right? And so now you begin to make all of these steps into reading in a much deeper way that goes from the text and then goes into sort of theology. And application for discipleship. So I think it really starts with just kind of paying attention to the text. And that could be the form, like I've just mentioned, or it can be sort of themes, right? So the theme in, and one of the themes in Baldwin that is ripe for Christian reflection is sort of religious hypocrisy, um, or sort of like, you know, what, what do you do when you're in church that's not healthy, right? So so I think you can find your way in through form, through content and theme, but but it starts with really kind of engaging, engaging with the text on its own terms.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned that that's kind of the the first level for what would be maybe the next thing for engaging with it.
1: Yeah, those are so those are really the two levels that you engage with that okay. form. And then that'll take you to those questions like, Oh, okay, this helps me see characters in this way. Is that how God wants me to see people? How does God see people? How does God call us to see people? Um, what what does it mean to look at people with a lens of love? Does that does that include mercy or is that uh, and accountability or just mercy? Like all, all of these sort of questions now come to the surface when we recognize what the form of that story is beginning to do. One of the other things in that Baldwin novel is, is, is you look at these things and those flashbacks, they help, they, they take you into characters' histories and you see what were the sort of contextual factors that formed how they thought about church and about God. Which then the next level for that for readers could be, oh, okay, like what, what do I think of when I think about God, and what's what's formed my ideas about the divine in positive ways, and maybe where has that been a little bit warped, or maybe been formed in a way that's maybe more self-interested than I want to admit. So then the novel begins to take us into our sort of um, notions of of who God is and and how how we embody and live out of those notions. So, so I think again, yeah, the, the form and the theme will, will sort of be the way in and, and probably in a sort of circular fashion, but, but can push us into better Christian reflection as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that even gets me thinking of how it drives us to, to learning almost like our gaps in knowledge and then going like, okay, what, what are the, the questions that I'm just not prepared to to answer that from, from the text? Mm-hmm. Is that, mm-hmm. is that kind of what you're saying? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, another thing, and you, and you just kind of have this, uh, line in there and I would just love, uh, for you to just elaborate in there. Cause it really just struck me as you talk about how, uh, the truth or the truth is often troubling as it pertains, um, to just understanding that. And so I would just love, uh, just kind of hear your thoughts just a little bit about that and, and why sometimes the truth can be so troubling.
1: Yeah. Um, I think this, I think this comes up in the introduction, maybe when we're talking about that scripture, uh, scripture is hard to read. And some of these novels are also hard to read. Um, I think mm-hmm. the Richard Wright novels are probably a really good example of this as is uh, Tony Morrison's novel, beloved. Um, I mean, there's, the history is hard, right? The history is hard. And these novels are, are hard. And, and I think writes work is, sometimes is, is, feels really brutal and maybe can feel like unnecessarily so, but I think he, he's really working, uh, strenuously to sort of convey, um, a a painful and true reality and so he writes with that sort of force and it's hard to look at you know um but it's also true and so that's sort of what i'm getting at like the book of judges is hard is hard to read but it's also true and it's important and it's scripture and and sometimes we have to look at the truth that's hard i mean the 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 cross is 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 in in two senses uh you know um, the wondrous cross, right? We know that hymn, but it's also it's hard to look at. It it, it says a really hard thing about our world, and it's um, uh, also a tragic evil, right? That that the Son of God was treated in this way, and yet at the same time, it is um, the hope of the world. And so, so I think what truth um, is is not always convenient or easy. And so, I think when we look at literature that can be hard to read, and there can be a tendency to want to shy away from it. Um, And I think that's a disservice. Um, Now, I'm not saying we only have to read literature that's hard and painful every day. But we need Mm -hmm. to, you know, we need to make sure we're not just purposefully pushing important things to the side, because uh, it's, you know, uh, uncomfortable. So sometimes we need to take that Mm -hmm. step.
0: Yeah. And I don't know. And I guess it also just got me thinking about how stories sometimes help communicate that truth. I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily want to say that it's in an easier way um, for it, but um, I don't know. It's almost like more subtle, subtle, because sometimes you can read a story and like, it's just like, oh man, that was a great story. And then sometimes you read a story and it's like, wow, or I guess you start that, the, the reflection that you were talking about and it, and it forces you into that um, internal evaluation mm-hmm. almost. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Another thing that you uh, write towards, I think it's towards the beginning of it, is you say, when my white friends ask me what to read about racial injustice in America, I always include novels. And I would just love to hear um what is it about, you know, the novels that are able to communicate things that maybe um that nonfiction isn't able to communicate.
1: Yeah, I think this goes to your point, uh, Caleb about story and the value of story. Um, and that that we can we experience uh truth and um yeah, we experience truth and events differently if it's a story versus just sort of like statistics or reporting. And I think that's why some of the best nonfiction in history uh, is written in a in a way that really helps us understand uh, the humanity connected to the events, and it's it's really crafted in a way that that um, showcases the sort of narrative reality connected to the issue. So, you know, obviously, what would you rather have? You know, somebody to give give get statistics about? You know people in a faraway country, uh, or would you rather read a story about what those people had went through? Right. You, you take the story, you know? Uh, um, and so I, I do find, you know, when I think, think back to, you know, uh, 2012, Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, all these different sort of different, different things over the last, you know, I guess now recent decade. Um, mm-hmm. it was really friends from, uh, white friends, different backgrounds that had read uh, literature, specifically African-American literature that seem to kind of understand a little bit more or just have a different sort of posture and engagement. Um, uh, because I think the literature had, had produced something in them. And I think that's, that's really the empathy dynamic. And, and and I think that's really what you see there. So there's, there's some great value there. And so I always want to make sure when, um, people are asking me about, you know, these sort of issues for, for their own kind of learning and reflection that, you know, is, many great things are um out for reading that that novels are a part of that that sort of diet or syllabus as well because i think they do formative work that um that can really happen even if you forget what you read you know so a lot of times we think oh reading i need to remember everything but there's a lot of research about uh what reading literature does to the brain and how it it creates different sort of pathways for um uh, embracing ambiguity, um, complexity, uh, increasing empathy. Like it just, it, 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 it works on us even if we don't really remember. Uh, so, so I think there's, there's many reasons why it's important to sort of, um, keep literature in the mix, uh, as we're thinking about our formation and and understanding, you know, important things in our, in our world and culture.
0: Hmm. I would love to hear, from you you know what are some of the the themes or the ideas that you've you know know, that you've captured in in your own book for the literature that you go through in reading black books and even even just in the greater literature uh black literature as well that you would say these things tend to be um lacking or maybe even missing or maybe not as appreciated as it pertains to christianity that is found really prevalent in black literature in black books
1: yeah. So, um, I think one example would be Margaret Walker has a poem called for my people and it, it makes, um, it's a poem that sort of does this panoramic of black experience. She wrote this, I want to say, um, I think it came out in 1942. So, so sort of uh, pre-civil rights kind of taking the sort of mosaic view of black experience across the country. Um, and it's a, a very stirring poem almost feels like a, like an ode, like a sermon, like a prayer, like a lament. And in that poem, uh, I look at it through the lens of hope. In that poem, she sort of catalogs all of the, the, the trials and the failures and the pain of her people. Uh, and then it goes into um, this sort of ending of like call, like saying, let a new world arise Right. And the poems refrain is for my people, for my people, for my people, for my people. Then towards the end, it turns to uh, let all Adams and Eves, let a new world arise, all countless generations, all this. So so it does this sort of thing where it actually ends with this sort of kind of note of hope, even though everything that's come before it has been kind of this mixed bag of pain and suffering and trials. And I think that represents um, Some of what African-American literature offers uh, to to the Christian church and to to the sort of denominations and traditions within that um, hope can exist when things are also extremely difficult. And that's actually where hope is necessary. (laughs) And we get to hope through an honest recognition of the pain that we're in. Uh, and so I, I think it, the poem demonstrates um, and pushes back against the I, the idea that um, that we need to be dishonest about how difficult and bleak things are. That somehow we'll actually feel better if we pretend things are better. The poem actually suggests the opposite. It's like, well, we really need to account with how how much how how troubling these times are, how troubling our experience has been, um, and it's actually by by speaking to that, that we create room for hope because hope always comes from the outside. Uh, It it has to come from from beyond us, and the poem does that. The other thing I think Walker's poem really does is is it instructs us in hope that I think has a real resonance with New Testament hope. But it also does this sort of um, dynamic between my people and all people. So the poem is called For My People, and it, it moves through the stanzas centered on Walker's people, uh, Black Americans, but it begins to end with this movement towards let all Adam and Eve's. So it does this sort of thing of, of trying to hold my people and trying to hold all people tightly together uh, and also showing that they're connected. And I think that also shows a really important New Testament um, reality of hope for Christians to hear is that uh, Christianity doesn't sever our sort of first uh, and kind of most intimate bonds of relations but it actually like purifies them and sanctifies them and then it unites us to a larger people so i think her poem really instructs us about what it means to belong to a people that we are uh, deeply connected on sort of local ethnic national uh levels and we actually have to embrace um, these different communities that we belong to and it, it's reminiscent of when uh the apostle peter writes that and says that those who were not uh, God's people are now God's people. And so we we belong to uh, God's people, but we belong to, you know, our ethnic people, our local people as well. And, And these bonds are actually connected. Sure, there's some tension in them, but God calls us to embrace those bonds and to bring Christ's grace and presence into those. So I think her poem is a really good example of pushing back on sort of two, two mistakes. I think that we can make Christianly, which is to sort of, um, be confused about what hope is and then also to sort of kind of try to um tribalize right in, in ways that actually mm-hmm. um disregard our our connectivity um as as citizens in a, in a particular nation but also as Christians who belong to our ethnic identity and then also our our Christian identity in the body of Christ mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, as you were listening to – or as I was listening to you talk about the hope piece, it even made me think just what you were talking about of um, of us lying to ourselves about how bad the situation can be. And almost like we can trick ourselves into thinking that we, we need a lesser hope than we actually need mm-hmm. because the situation is not as bad as we think. And so it's like, oh, man, I can reach for this or I can reach for this. And it's like, oh, no, you're much farther down in the pit yeah. than you think right. that you are. right. Mm. Uh I I would also just love to hear from you what are some of the things that you've learned from black literature about Jesus that um that have just resonated you and again I guess this is just more um I won't put a timeline on it. Just what are some of the things that you've learned about Jesus through black sure. literature? Yeah.
1: I could go back to the, uh, go tell on the mountain, James Baldwin's novel, which I mentioned a few moments ago. Uh, it, it tells a story of, it's a semi-autobiographical novel. It tells a story of a character named John Grimes, who is, um, you know, in a, in a Pentecostal holiness, uh, church is pretty rigid, pretty fundamentalist. Um, this is probably like set in the 1920s, 1930s, uh, and he wants to escape that. And we quickly quickly realize he wants to escape that because the sort of idea of God at the center of all of that is really harsh, um, kind of drained and devoid of love, and makes a really hard, rigid line between the world and the church. And for John, the only place that he's actually really gotten any sort of dignity and affirmation has actually been in the world, so to speak, from his teachers or being out in the city. And reading that, you read that and you realize there is not much of Christ in the imagination of that church and its characters in the sort of church world that John and his family inhabit. It's pretty, um, it's pretty empty of, of, of Christ. And, and so it, it raises the sort of question, you know, how do we think of God and who, who is Jesus? Like when, when we think of God, we, um, we we have to make the we we have to guard ourselves from uh, making the mistake that we can conceive of god without conceiving of of his son who who as the book of hebrews tells us that that's how god has spoken to us he's spoken through the prophets but in these last days he's spoken through a son which obviously is affirmed and foreshadowed and verified by the rest of scripture but jesus is that culmination so i think that novel by the absence of christ really uh, to me has helped me consider and to remember what we know from the first chapter of John's gospel, that, that it's Christ who, who is the word who has revealed, mm-hmm. revealed the father to us. And so it, it, it pushes me to remain Christocentric. Um, and I would also add, um, uh, the poems by uh county cullen he's got poems about two poems about jesus that i include in the in the in the book that more explicitly deal with jesus in connection with uh, the lynching of african american american um uh people and i think that becomes a lens through which to kind of um enter in a little bit more into the suffering that jesus has undertaken for uh for his people and for the world uh by looking at um looking at a, a not a not an exact parallel, but an approximate parallel of, of a sort of suffering that was not just a way to kill, but a way to try to degrade and debase uh, humanity, which is um, mm. brings us a little bit closer to the realities behind uh, Roman crucifixion. So I would say those two works are, are two that have helped me um, think more deeply about uh, about Christ.
0: Yeah, uh, one of the work that I wanted to ask you about that you write about in the book is um, Richard Wright's native son as well. Mm-hmm. Would you mind just talking a little bit about uh, that, that story and what resonates so deeply with you about it?
1: Yeah. So uh, native son uh, is a novel by Richard Wright that he wrote on the heels of his short story collection was the first thing that he published called uh, the collection is called uncle Tom's children. And uh, he wrote native son because uh, well, partly because he, he felt that, the reception of Uncle Tom's children was a little bit too um, too warm and too easy. Like people weren't disturbed enough. They weren't really um, taking serious the sort of suffering and conditions of the black community that he was trying to depict, which he knew from his experience and from looking around, were very much true. So Native Son was sort of, he he, he kind of turned up the intensity, maybe is a, maybe a way to put it, and, uh, and wrote this novel. And it follows a character named Bigger Thomas in Chicago. And he just has, uh, I mean, you just know it from the first page. He's got no way, he's got no way to get out of this environment. and he, He's going to, uh, I mean, he's just, it's not going to end well. He, he's trapped and he, he's going to, he's just going to be crushed in some, in some way, it's just a matter of how. So that's really the context of the novel. And um, I I think for, for me, one of the ways the novel uh, resonates um, is it shows really well-intentioned political activism, well-intentioned kind of preacher person, um, all these, uh, you know, philanthropist sort of person. And it just shows that all of these attempts to sort of, make a way for bigger are all dead ends and in fact they only produce the opposite Uh, it makes me think a little bit about your 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 comment on on hope we think we can just oh if i just reach a little bit uh, i'll get out of this and you you read that novel and you realize oh oh my like this is like this is catastrophic there's no way out almost is is the the sense that you come away with and that you know that's bleak, but I think it's also, it resonates at a, at a level, um, that I, that I think demonstrates the reality of what sin is and that it's not just a personal Mm -hmm. reality. It's a, it's a social reality. Um, and these things are connected and, uh, things are really dire when, when it comes down to sort of, um, human ingenuity or human ability to sort of self-save and to sort of rectify Mm -hmm. massively, um, uh, wrong and, and massively uh, deep moral ills, that we, we're we not able to do this in and of ourselves. So I think uh, Native Son really demonstrates when the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 3 that we're trapped under sin, I think that novel really demonstrates that idea of being trapped under something and the need for, uh, need for a rescue, something that's reconstituting human hearts. And and then also connected to that, actually reconstituting the ways that we relate to one another, and and try to live in the world and in communities. So I think it's actually it's honesty about human plight and it and, and brutality. Uh, I, I think actually has r- a real resonance with the New Testament and with the truth of how things really are. Hmm.
0: Well, I know that we've covered uh, a lot of stuff. Is there anything else just top of mind that you want to make sure that we talk about or cover?
1: Oh man. Um... No, I think we've covered a lot of ground. We even went think Christian stuff and stuff related to the book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think um, you know, for people listening, obviously, if you listen this far into this podcast, you're probably interested in the topic. And um, you know, my yeah. my best thoughts on these ideas are in the book. That's why they're they're written down there. <laughs> so so if anything's interesting there, you can you can wait in. And sometimes people ask me, oh oh, do I need to read read the books to to enjoy your book? And uh, I tried to write it so you don't have to do that. Um, but that in reading my book, you would become interested in some of these books and then, and then find your way in. Um, I would suggest, you know, if people do want to read along, there's some of the novels that are a little bit shorter, and obviously the poems are shorter. So you can read those and then read my chapter. And then essentially, you have kind of your own self-contained book club. But um, yeah, grateful for uh, folks that are going to pick the book up. And if they enjoy it, you know, leave a review, all that sort of stuff is a huge help.
0: Yeah. And if they want to keep up with you, where's the best place for people to go to do that?
1: Yeah. Um, Twitter is a good place. I'm on there, um, with, uh, loose regularity so you can keep up with me there. Um, I would say uh, my newsletter, uh, which you can find a Goodreads, it's called Good Things, um, uh, or excuse me, on Substack, um, you can you yeah. can find that there, and I usually do once a month there, share, you know, as I get back into reading and watching movies, now that this book yeah. is done, I like to share things uh, share things there, so Twitter and uh, and my Substack, uh, Good Things, are, are two best ways to kind of keep up with me, but um, yeah, if you read the book and enjoy it, drop me a message, we'd love to hear people's thoughts and uh, engage in that way too.
0: Awesome. Well, Claude, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. And thanks for just doing the work.
1: Yeah, great conversation. Appreciate it, Caleb. Thank you.
0: There's a couple of different things that really got me thinking in both my prep for this conversation and during the conversation as well. I think one of the things that I absolutely love learning about and learning people or learning from people about is how to analyze different media and how to learn and discern about different art forms whether that be music or movies or TV or anything like that and so or i guess uh books books as well and so i absolutely love some of his thoughts about paying attention to story or not to story to struct, yes to story but also to structure as well of how how is this story structured in it what are some of the the questions that this story asks of us or that this medium asks of us and in some, in some cases, you know, some pieces of art provide answers to whatever the question is being asked. And going, okay, so, and then I guess learning to to discern and analyze what that answer is. And for those of us, you know, who are Christians, comparing that to, to the way of Jesus as well. And comparing it, comparing what is in this art form to the way of Jesus, or even just thinking through what this question is, is asking. And have I wrestled with this question before and letting that curiosity that is invoked by that piece of art or that film or, or the, the music, letting that drive your curiosity and causing you to seek out different you know, blogs or articles or videos or documentaries that attempt to answer that question and looking at different sources and seeing what the answers are that they provide to it and then figuring out what that means for you. And if you follow a, you know, a particular belief system, how does that compare with your belief system? As well you know for me being a follower of jesus how does that compare what is the answers that are being provided and how do they how do they line up to to the gospel message and the the way of jesus and so that's one of the things that it's got me thinking about and i think the other thing is what he mentioned about in in that uh in that line of one of the people ask him about what black literature to read that he always recommends novels and stories and I think that goes back to the empathy, the empathy reading, the empathy literature that we were talking about of how that helps us better understand what people are going through. And it just reminds me of the importance of memoirs and that could be found in books that could be found in, uh, in some cases, documentaries and in autobiographies as well. But I think just engaging with, and, and in some cases it could be podcast series as well but engaging with people on their experiences and what they've lived through and what they've gone through as well. So those are a couple of things that I'm thinking about out of this conversation. I would love to hear from you and some of the things that most resonated with you. And the best way to reach out to me is learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. If you have someone or a subject that you would love to cover on the podcast, you can reach out to me and let me know there as well. And I think that's all that I have for today. I do want to say thank you to Claude for being on the podcast today. Thanks to Sam Massey for producing the music for this podcast. And thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.